Support for the Northwards podcast comes from St. Lawrence University, where a strong liberal arts tradition with real-world applications equips students to solve 21st century challenges. stlawu.edu Let me start by saying COVID is still out there and still making folks sick. But we're definitely in a different point in the virus's history than we were at this time last year, or 2021, or 2020. And some of the stories from those points in pretty recent history are already fading from our collective memory. How quiet it was in normally busy neighborhoods during that early period of lockdown. The game nights we played over Zoom, plexiglass, and contact tracing, and signs on the floor directing traffic through the grocery store. Okay, maybe they haven't faded from my memory yet. But coming up on this edition of Northwards, a pandemic story we shouldn't forget, and one that 250 kids likely won't. Plus, a flower farm growing in maybe an unlikely place in the North Country, and the effort to bring tourists to a part of Warren County through an app. That's all coming your way next on Northwards from North Country Public Radio. This is Northwards, the monthly interview show coming to you from North Country Public Radio. I'm Mitch Tyke. As of this month, after three years and around 100 days, the World Health Organization has dropped the emergency designation from the COVID-19 global pandemic. And while the virus is still out there and still causing illnesses, the intense part of the public health crisis is fading into memory for many of us. For Carrie Woodcock and a couple hundred kids in Ogdensburg, there is one memory that probably won't fade anytime soon, writing a song together. Woodcock is a mom, a writer, a musician, and a health coach. One thing she would have readily told you a few years ago is that she is not a teacher. But as we all know, circumstances during the pandemic moved a lot of people out of their comfort zone, and that was how Carrie Woodcock wound up as a music teacher in an elementary school and how her students ended up as songwriters and performers. Carrie Woodcock came by the studio recently and picks up the story from there. So in my mid-30s, I kind of uprooted my life and had a career change. I started my own business, um, and I started to embrace writing. I started to embrace being a musician, and it took me the better part of 10 years before I started to feel like I was gaining some traction. And then 2020 hit. March hit and everything, the world shut down. And there were no more book signings and there were no more performances and there were no more lessons with kids. I did guitar and piano lessons. um, And there was no health coaching. There was no fitness classes. So basically everything that I had worked so hard, tooth and nail, fighting tooth and nail to make happen, had been wiped out. Right. All, all of these things that you had worked so hard to do yeah. were largely in-person things that, that got them. taken away. Not even just largely. All of them. Every single one of them. So I went, I was definitely going through an internal struggle of, is what I'm doing even important? So it was in late August of 2020. I got a call from the superintendent at, at the local school district at Ogdensburg, and they said would you be our elementary music teacher? And I said, what do you mean? Can, do you, can I be the <laughs> music teacher? Like, you can't just be a music teacher. I am a self-taught musician. 
I went to school for psychology, <laughs> and I've never taken one education class. <laughs> and he said that they had lost their certified music teacher. They had tried to find one. They couldn't find one in the area. And they asked if I would, if the Board of Education could appoint me as the long-term substitute. So They did all this before they talked to you. Well, they had to. They had had me in mind. They called me up, and he. I told him that I would do it, and he said I have to post the position one more time to make sure. So he went ahead and did that, and then, and then I started on the following Tuesday, <laughs> five days later. <laughs> what What did you say when he called you and asked if you would do this? First of all, I was just surprised. I was like, "You can't just be a teacher. I have no idea." anything about what a curriculum is for it was pre-k through uh sixth grade and i also did all the boces classes so i had no idea what they were even learning at that point and and um you know you i knew that you couldn't sing you couldn't play instruments they couldn't the students couldn't even come to my classroom at the beginning i had to pile everything on a cart and go around to their classroom so this was it was in person anyway it was in person okay. it was like hybrid so right. we did half and half i had the students about they did a rotational there and then the way the schedule worked because it was all a rotational sometimes i didn't see kids for 4 weeks at a time because that was just the way that the specials the schedule fell for them. So it did become challenging in that respect. Some of the kids I took took a long time to get to know. So you you couldn't sing? You couldn't play instruments of any kind? Not for the first few months. And then... Because I guess people would be sharing things like drumsticks yep. or, or shakers or whatever. After a few months, I was able to bring instruments, but I had to go through a cleansing process, and then they had to sit for four days before you could use them again. So basically, my risers in my classroom were covered in instruments all the time, and I would rotate the instruments as I cleaned them and then bring them to the next class. So you're kind of making, I mean, following instructions, but making that up as you go along. So yes. what did you arrive at? at least initially, for what you were going to do with these kids? Honestly, initially, I had a lot of moments of panic in the middle of the night, <laughs> thinking, <laughs> oh, my God, do I have enough material for these kids? Because it's really easy to lose control of 30 kids if you don't have something to keep their attention. <laughs> but initially, we just kind of plugged away at that. We did some song analysis. I played some songs, and we went through, like, what song structure was, the meaning behind the song, maybe a little bit of history of why people wrote the songs, like trying to connect, I guess, to the emotional aspect of it. Uh, and that went on for, I mean, how long? The first three months were like that, and then we went for Christmas break. And I had dinner with one of my friends um, over Christmas break, and she said, Carrie, why are you not doing what you do best with these kids? And honestly, it had crossed my mind. I thought about writing a song with them, but it was a big task to take on. I knew it would be the whole school. I knew that maybe they wouldn't even participate. Maybe they would think it was, you know, it's music <laughs> class and they're <laughs> elementary kids and maybe they wouldn't think anything of it. And also, every time I wrote a song, I never really knew where it came from. You know, I, I kind of always had this feeling like it came through me rather than from me. Like it was, and sometimes a song doesn't come out. <laughs> so, like you can't force the muse to cooperate. Exactly. Sometimes <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Sometimes there's a lot of blank pages. So I just never know with that. And, so, and usually when I'm done, I'm like, I don't know where that came from or how it happened or how I ever pulled it together. But you decided to give it a shot. I did. I decided that she gave me the little push I needed, and I decided to dive in when we got back from break. 
So when we got back, we started initially like the next month, every single one of my classes, we brainstormed and I started asking them about what they were going through. And I started their, their initial first response was funny. They said, uh, well, we can't write a song. I was like, well, why can't we write a song? I was like, we can write a song. And they was, they were like, well, we can't put a song out because of copyright issues. And I said, yeah, but copyright protects the artist. And I know you watch a lot of videos on YouTube and everything else, but this time you're the artist. So we're going to learn the about The kids copy- are worried about copyright. I know. They're huh. worried about copyright infringement because they didn't think they could do it. <laughs> I was like, well, you can when you're the artist. So... So anyway, they really started to open up. It was surprising how quick they did. And they started talking about all the different things that they were experiencing and how much they missed. Birthday parties was a big one. How much they missed sports. And and uh, they also started sharing some other things about how grateful they were for their families. And, you know, there were some kids that their parents were essential workers, healthcare workers, and they had a hard time because their mom was gone all the time. So there was a lot of ups and downs. There were good things and bad things. They talked about online learning. They talked about the good thing about being able to sleep in or go to class in your pajamas (laughs) or the bad part about it. And that it was once you got lost, that was really hard for them to figure out what was going on. And they didn't have the, as much, as much for resources as they normally were used to. You went to school uh, for psychology. It sounds like uh, a little of that was coming through in the yeah. songwriting process. You know, we did a lot of a lot of discussions about that. And there's one part in the song where we specifically talk about overcoming obstacles and how challenges make us stronger. perseverance and we talked about the ability to adapt and and it, they shared some really amazing things for little kids you know it was I was moved by it I really was and this was going on at every grade level every grade level right down to little ones you know I mean you word it a little bit differently but you can still talk about that stuff with them and I think that you know maybe one of my biggest purposes for being there was maybe because of those conversations so you're so you're writing the song, and it sounds like largely what you were doing with the kids was working on the lyrics. Yes. Yeah, so with them, I took all of the ideas, um, and we then took those ideas and we put them into a theme. And I told the, you know we talked about song structure again and what the verses of a song accomplish and what the chorus and the main idea of a song is. And then we talked about what a bridge does, and and then we decided what story we wanted to tell. And we worked through the progression of, of that story. 
And you're writing the music at this point? I did. So after I took all of their ideas, and we had like a concept, almost like an essay form for the song, and then I took their ideas, and then um, went a little bit further and put set it to some music. Actually, I remember when the lyrics first started coming because that's the most challenging part. It's just getting started, right? And that's the part that I'm always the most scared of. So I have all these ideas that the kids have, and how am I going to transform them into a song that, that they're going to like? And uh, and I remember the words that first came through. And it was just driving one day, and I pulled over, and I put it in the notes of my phone so that I didn't forget it. <laughs> so the whole process took the second semester? Yeah, it really took the rest of that school year because we – so we – I brought the music back in. We started um, learning it, and then we couldn't sing in group settings, so I brought in all my audio recording equipment and I captured them individually and then merged all their voices together. I probably had about 250 students that actually participated because I didn't make anybody participate. 250 students participated in this. Yeah, it was amazing, actually. And the other music teachers were like, how are you getting them to engage? And I said, well, I'm giving them a voice. This is, they're taking ownership of this. Like, this is their story, and they love it. You know, they love it. They, I could hear it, like, ringing through the halls, and they would sing it all the time. I still have kids come up to me now. I was, I was going to ask <laughs> that question. So, but, but before we get to that, when was the song done, and, and how did it make its debut? So we were, uh, it was about April, May, somewhere in there when we finished it. So I had recorded them all singing individually. I also videoed them. And so we, I showed them, taught them audio engineering, and then taught some, them some video engineering. And I even had one kid, a sixth grader, that did a drum track from home and sent that in. And then I put his drum track to the audio track. That <laughs> I sent the audio to him. He put out his headphones, played the drum, and then sent it back to me. This that is how, cool. how so many bands around the yeah. around the world were were working in oh that my time. Gosh, definitely. So um, so we put together a video. We actually submitted it to a songwriting competition in Nashville. And we didn't win the songwriting competition, but they learned a lot more. <laughs> and was this the end of your teaching career? Um, I So we finished off that year, and uh, they still hadn't found another music teacher. I went in the following fall, and things had started to get back to normal. They were not doing the rotate rotating classes anymore so we were at full full capacity and uh, and you know there were a lot of new struggles coming back into school and I think there were a lot of people that were used to the online learning a lot of kids that had never been in school right some of them were had been in online for two years and they had they were little they just had no idea so it was definitely struggle a struggle to get back up and going especially for me because I didn't have the as things started to resume to normal, I didn't really know what normal was. Like I didn't have, I didn't know the curriculum. I didn't really know what they were supposed to be learning. And I just didn't have the background to really be doing that. You know, I'm a great outside the box thinker. I'm, I'm a problem solver and I can <laughs> usually figure things out and I like being creative. But when it came to a real structured classroom, I have to tell you that 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 few months that I did in the fall was a struggle for me when there was double the kids and they were all struggling too with maybe not enough 
you know, one-on-one aids in some classrooms, and it was it was rough. And I uh, I loved every minute of it, but there were a lot of challenging moments in that fall when I thought, I don't think I have the resources to really do the job. I don't know that I have what the kids really need now. And still having, we're still wearing masks. You had a ton of quarantines. They had to be... You know, and you're also, I'm also in a classroom that has risers where they have an X that they have to sit on. And, you know, to have 35-year-olds stay on an X for 40 minutes is next to impossible. <laughs> like that alone could take up your whole classroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an easy task. <laughs> so, so in the end, you basically, you taught for a year and a half. A year and a half, yeah. And in the end, you know, I feel like that song that we did really helped unite all of the kids at a time when everything was uncertain and it was something that nobody really knew how to deal with. You know, we were all getting through it the best that we could. But I think that that song really, really helped them express what they were, what they were going through and it allowed them to learn what artistic expression really was and how it could benefit. And not only like unite them, but they could get out their own feelings. There was just a lot of different things that they benefited as a result of that. Well, and you think about it, and and we all kind of file away the memories uh, from that time. Mm -hmm. And so for some 250 kids who grew up in Ogdensburg 15 or 20 years from now, this may well be one of the memories that yeah. that carries with them about yeah. when they're telling their own kids about <laughs> the pandemic. It's true. It's true. And, you know, I went into that job completely uncertain about the path that my life had taken and one that I felt I was really following my true calling and my passion. And and I questioned it and I thought, man, it was so hard to get it up and going. And I just don't know if I've lost momentum and if I have the, enough energy to do it again. And I came very close to closing my business and and just thrown in the towel. But I think that what that song did for me was something even greater because it reaffirmed my belief in how, how important artistic expression is and why I do what I do and why I'd been fighting for so long to follow that path and to give them a voice and to find my own voice. It was, uh, it was something that I was questioning and it was them that really truly got me through and made me realize that I didn't want to quit and instead I wanted to move forward with more conviction because we weren't incidental. Music is important and it connects us all. And sometimes, even if we're not an essential worker, there are, there are reasons for that. Did the school district say thanks at the end of all of this? They did, they did. And they actually uh, found another certified music teacher and she worked with me from October through December. I stayed through their Christmas concert because that year they got to do the Christmas concert. And it went really, really beautifully. And I was able to play the guitar while she played the piano. So they had a little bit more instrumental um, accompaniment when for their, for their concert. It went really beautifully. Carrie Woodcock, thank you so much for sharing this story with us. It's, uh, it, it's you know, I think a story that people probably haven't heard. And, and so I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you would share it with all of us. 
Oh, thanks for having me. It's definitely a story that is super special to me. Carrie Woodcock is a writer, a musician, and a health coach, and for 18 months was an elementary school music teacher in Ogdensburg. She and 250 students wrote and performed a song during the pandemic called Get Through. You'll find it at ncpr.org slash northwards, and here is some of it right now. Stay tuned after a quick break. We'll travel to Jay and find out how some beauty from the heart of the Adirondacks is making its way to all corners of the country. This is Northwards from NCPR. NCPR's Northwards is supported by Renew Architecture and Design, offering custom design services from the St. Lawrence River Valley to the Adirondacks. More at renewarchitecture.com. And by Brewer Bookstore on Park Street in Canton. Open to the public Monday through Saturday, featuring books, household items, and gifts. Brewerbookstore.com. You can subscribe to the Northwards podcast and have a new interview delivered to you every Friday. Find Northwards on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. From North Country Public Radio, it's Northwards. I'm Mitch Tyke. Linda Diarco's farm, Little Farmhouse Flowers, sits in one of the most beautiful bucolic spots in the Adirondacks, in the shadow of Whiteface Mountain in the town of Jay. It's not a huge farm. Turn up the driveway and you won't think you're in a tulip field in Holland. But you will see a display garden, a quiet spot with rows of flowers and shades of pink and yellow and orange. And you'll see a handful of greenhouses and people preparing an awe-inspiring number of flowers to ship fresh to every corner of the country. The story of how Diarco came to be a successful, sustainable flower farmer in a climate as tough as the North Country is a good one. I had a chance to visit with Linda Diarco just as Little Farmhouse Flowers was gearing up for the Mother's Day rush. Thanks so much for taking a little break to talk. Thanks for coming. We got some beautiful weather, so we really lucked out and starting to feel a little more like springtime now. <laughs> uh, yeah, very much like springtime. So I guess the question I have to start is, what is this flower operation doing in Jay, New York? How did you come to be here? Sure. Well, I used to be in education. Um, I worked as a teacher and an administrator in independent schools, and I had a summertime hobby, growing flowers, that sort of took over my life. And eventually I got to the point where it made more sense not to lead these dual lives where I'm teaching during the day and sowing flowers and tending plants at night, um, but to commit uh, to this project and to turn it into a business. So we're here. We have um, a rather small farm. It's just two and a half acres, uh, but we grow... Um, in an intensive way and cut flowers are actually the most profitable crop that you can grow per acre so even though our farm is small we're able to sustain ourselves and a number of staff um, who are here helping us. Well and you say you grow in an intensive way what do you mean by that? So we are growing our crops quite close together and in quick succession 
Um, so some of the plantings that we do are very rich and sort of uh, densely planted perennial beds, um, interplanted with uh, different kinds of annuals when we want. Um, that's like the space where we're standing here, this display garden, which has a whole wealth of diversity of different kinds of plants. Um, other times we're growing in a greenhouse or a field crop where we're growing more in a, a monoculture sort of philosophy, a single crop per row. Um, and as soon as that crop's done, we're trying to reinvest in the soil and replant another crop in quick succession. Those types of plants are grown very close together and that encourages cut flowers to grow straight and tall, which is desirable in our industry. We wanna have nice, tall, straight stems. So that's how we're able to um, grow and a small space and have very high yields as a flower farmer. So over the years, I've, I've spoken with people who have taken their hobby and made it their living. Um, people who love to cook and have opened restaurants, people who love to fish and have uh, become professional fishermen. And you took this hobby and made it your living. What did you have to do to get up to speed on the economics of being a flower farmer as opposed to being a, a hobbyist flower farmer? So there are a number of skills that I took from my former life. Um, and uh, I was an art teacher and a design teacher before. I also taught some innovation classes and I was working particularly with students through a sort of entrepreneurial based curriculum. So those elements all came in to help me when I started my own business. Um, and certainly my strengths lie in the marketing realm of my business. So the photography, design work, publications, um, website management, all of that stuff is really sort of part of my background and it, it definitely helps us along here. Um, I've learned along the way that the economics of being a farmer and how to work in ways that are less risky. I committed from the beginning to growing the business by taking on very little financial debt um, and until I was able to grow and I just kept reinvesting each season's profits to help the business grow bigger and bigger to a point where we're now willing to take on some larger risks and we've actually started to do some importing for other flower farmers across the country. We're importing bulbs and offering them wholesale and roots, uh, peony roots, bare root roses, things like that. So that's been a nice development for our business to be able to now offer these goods to other flower farmers too. Which was the harder skill for you to, to feel like you could get on top of, the, the agriculture part or the economic part? Hmm. I, I think both of those areas, I, I always feel like I learn more in them each year. I think there are lots of clever things that you can do in terms of economics. You can you know start with a packet of seeds. That's really where this all began, two packets of seeds that were um, given to me by my sister. Um, when was this? probably eight or nine years ago and it's from those seeds that this whole hobby began and that the business eventually grew from that and that's a very low cost way to get started but seeds and annuals flowers that you can sell fresh and also dried are another great investment for beginning growers because you don't have the pressure of having to offer them right away so those are some great ways to to grow throughout the season and, and build up with without taking on so much risk what were the seeds that your sister gave you? Uh, she gave me some zinnias um, and I think some poppies. Yeah, and that's, that's where I started. <laughs> <laughs> 
so there had to come a point where you were on the verge of leaving your life in education and and taking this on full time how big a leap did that feel for you and how did you get over that well that was terrifying (laughs) (laughs) i had reached a point in my career in education where i was uh, very comfortable Um, i was working as a dean of faculty and doing some some management work and consulting with communications projects and things like that so leaving that was uh was definitely a little bit scary i had been working out of the school's greenhouse to start my seedlings along, a space that wasn't being very well utilized at the time. And this was about February of the school year, the year that I decided to leave teaching and I didn't have a place to put those seedlings either. So I knew that in giving notice there with my employer that I was not only taking on a whole new career, but I had to find a farm, I had to find <laughs> land, I had to prepare the land, and that all had to happen very quickly. So that was a little bit scary, for sure. <laughs> I, I know this is a cliche, but people must have thought you were crazy. They absolutely did, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, obviously, there are some people close to me who supported this idea, um, but yeah, a lot of people thought I was crazy, and, and I did hear that <laughs> from some <laughs> colleagues. <laughs> I wonder, as I was thinking about it, I, I had read that you had switched from education, and there's something about marking the seasons in education um, that makes for, I think, the way you know some people in the field frame their lives. Is there a, is there a similarity when you are a grower and you have to pay attention, or maybe you innately get the, the passing of the seasons? I think, you know, I, I absolutely feel that, and now I have reverse seasons. As a school teacher, I was, you know, Uh, at least initially, you know, very busy during the school year. And then I had this hobby relaxation time during the summer. Now the summer can be a very intense time for a grower, but we've learned here, even in our cold climate, how to um, be efficient and profitable with our crops throughout the entire year. So we learned how to do bulb forcing in the wintertime. We also have learned how to take advantage of the challenges that we've overcome here, the lessons that we've learned, and use those as educational products that we can share with other farmers to help them along the way and help them learn from our hard-earned lessons and move their businesses forward a little bit easier than what we experienced. So, so there is still education in what you do. Yeah, absolutely. And that's been kind of a full circle moment. We have been transitioning our work here more into that realm. We produce online courses um, and offer them. We do a subscription service where I publish weekly video tips and tutorials from what's happening behind the scenes here. And I really love that part of our work now, for sure. The pandemic must have been an interesting time to be doing this, and at the same time, you must have felt really fortunate that you could be working outside in in a way that would have been a lot more difficult uh, if you were still in education. The pandemic was a really interesting time for us because we had been primarily relying upon the wedding and event industry for the sale of our flowers prior to the pandemic. Um, I love the design elements. So we grow the flowers here. We also have a design studio. We design with the flowers, make arrangements and bouquets. And that series of events, the pandemic, it wiped out all of those sales. And it forced us to really reevaluate the different income streams that we had for the business and what we were going to feel comfortable investing in in the future. So now we are a little bit more diversified. We offer the wholesale cut flowers to florists all over the country. We ship overnight 
to them. Um, we do still have some retail sales that we offer, um, but we're doing that more on a, a local um, basis. We have uh, a la carte menu of wedding and event flowers that people can come and pick up here. And then we're, we're focusing more on wholesale customers and reaching a broader audience for the time being. The North Country seems like such an unlikely place to uh, to grow something like flowers. Why why are you doing this here as opposed to a, a warmer, often more sunny climate? You know, I I definitely have an eye on what other growers are doing all over the country. It's hard not to, and when you see them have certain flowers at times of the year when you simply can't have them, you can get a little bit jealous. But it it does force us to have to be a little innovative. And that's where some of our um, indoor bulb forcing projects come from. We're experimenting a lot with hydroponics, um, with finding ways to grow flowers sustainably in the wintertime too, so that we're not putting a lot of fossil fuels into our operation. I like that part of my work. So sometimes it seems like it would be a lot easier to do this in a warmer place, but we have our own methods here and uh, they work just fine for us. We're standing in this display garden that you have here. Uh, you have to have plenty of work keeping the, the profitable garden going. <laughs> Why is it important to have this here as well? So this space is right along the road. Um, it's nice because um, anyone who's passing by enjoys it and is maybe intrigued by it. Um, we also designed this space with the idea that it could be um, a place where people can come and enjoy and when they come to pick up flowers if they place a, a local order they can grab their flowers they can spend some time here in the garden and it's also a place for us to experiment with plants so sometimes we're planting things into here that I view sort of as pet plants things that may not be actually great cut flowers but may just be intriguing um, or we'll try new things we'll run little trials in here see which sorts of plants work well together that's all really valuable information and of course it's wonderful for all of the pollinators and insects and birds that get to spend time here too i feel like we've been teasing people we've been talking about flowers as though all flowers are the same what do you grow here we grow all sorts of things um <laughs> right now because it's spring we have all our daffodils and tulips hyacinth, muscari. Um, they'll be followed shortly by allium, lupin, peonies are coming. Uh, we have a pretty big rose uh, operation. We grow roses in unheated tunnels and that extends our season with them substantially and also provides an environment that is more similar to a warm weather environment, which the roses love. And uh, that's a, a pretty big project of ours right now. And we do offer some education around roses too. We're growing all, all, all sorts of flowers <laughs> hundreds of types <laughs> and they just keep coming throughout the throughout the season throughout the year as someone who does this for a living do you do you wish that people would pay attention to things besides roses yeah absolutely i think you know seasonal flowers are best the things that we're growing here are grown without uh, the use of chemicals um, we try to depend upon integrated pest management and uh, beneficial insects if we do have a problem with a pest. Um, the flowers here are very healthy. Um, you know, oftentimes when we receive flowers from overseas or that are imported long distances, they have been treated with some pretty harsh chemicals that you wouldn't normally want to bring into your home. And our first instinct when we receive flowers is to bring them to our nose and smell them. 
I sort of cringe when I see that happening with a lot of conventional flowers that are coming in because they really aren't healthy for us. So yeah, any flowers that are blooming now where you live, um, those are the flowers to be really enjoying. And if flowers aren't available, um, you know, look at things that dry well and other products that, um, that last a long time and that can still bring beauty, natural beauty to your home in the off season. Is there, for lack of a better word, a network of uh, growers like you around this region? There are, um, and it's growing. The pandemic definitely led to more people being interested in growing crops and flowers from home when they were spending time at home and and then ultimately deciding not to go back to work. So there is a great network of growers here in the Northeast, a really close group for the most part. We are helping each other out and sharing ideas with each other. Um, Give us a sense of a day in the life of Linda Diarco. There is really no typical day for me. (laughs) Um, Generally, we're doing lots of our agricultural farming work in the morning. Most of the people that work here with me work in the morning from, say, 8 to about 2 p.m. In the afternoon, we're typically doing different projects that we can do from home. Many of the people who work here are moms with kids that they need to pick up from school or that or whose child care they're responsible for in the afternoons. Um, so generally in the afternoons, my focus turns toward uh, the bookkeeping, the invoicing, uh, blogging, video making, um, all different kinds of things. And um, generally at the end of the week, that's when we're focused more on assembling orders for our uh pick up wedding clients from our a la carte menu. Um, They'll come and get their boutonnieres and bouquets or um, bulk buckets of flowers, those sorts of things. Realizing that every day is a little bit different, what what are the moments, though, that you are the most content in doing what you're doing? I really love my quiet time with my flowers. Um, I think they're still very much uh, my hobby, even though they're my profession now, too. So um, Sunday mornings when it's quiet here, and you know the birds are chirping and the bees are floating around and I have my camera and I have some time to collect different beautiful elements put them together as a still life in the studio and practice my craft of photography I love those times especially and at the same time are there things that that keep you up at night when you think about this work for sure seasonal farming and and dependency on the the elements and climate change all of those things weigh heavily on the mind I think of any farmer you know this year we saw our tulips come in about three weeks earlier than last year and last year they were a couple weeks earlier than the previous year so it's becoming more and more challenging to depend on the things that we're growing outside um, without cover um, as sort of regular seasonal crops Um, and that's why innovating and learning how to um, create environments and situations for plants to thrive and also continually updating are offering, learning more and more about perennials that are going to sort of take care of themselves through these situations that have deep roots and can survive. Droughts, really important. But yeah, the climate, the weather, those things definitely keep me up at night. And now that we are doing a lot more um, wholesale offerings to florists and other farmers, um, that's more risk for the business and more worry because I care deeply about our relationships with those people and about their success too. I guess this is a big philosophical question, but but do you feel like what you're doing is contributing beauty to the rest of the world? I think it absolutely is. Um, I do hope 
that in time not too far away, there are enough people growing flowers to meet their local need um, and interest. And I hope that people continue to grow in their appreciation for locally grown goods. I do hope there will be a day soon when we don't feel the need to ship flowers even within our own country. Um, right now, the florist that we're sending flowers from would otherwise be buying from overseas or even further away. So it's nice to be able to share some American-grown goods with them. But I look forward to the day when the flower industry is really returned to this country because it used to be very large here prior to about the 1980s. I think we're, we're moving on that path and people are forging many little farms like this all over the place and uh, being able to supply florists with some super fresh flowers. But yeah, we're, we're really fortunate. This is a beautiful part of the country to live in and it challenges us. Um, I sure do look forward to spring every year. I feel like we definitely earn it here. <laughs> <laughs> Linda Diarco, thank you so much for sharing some of your work and some of your life with us. It's been my pleasure, thank you for coming. Linda Diarco is the founder and owner of Little Farmhouse Flowers in Jay, New York. We spoke with her in the farm's display garden recently, and you can see photos of the farm and find out more at ncpr.org northwards. One more break, and then we'll hear about the effort to draw more tourists to parts of Warren County that aren't Lake George. This is Northwards from NCPR. Northwards on NCPR is supported by the Clayton Opera House presenting a big band music celebration performed by Jukebox Saturday Night on Friday, June 9th at 7.30 p.m. Details at ClaytonOperaHouse.com. By The Book Nook, an independent bookstore located on Broadway in Saranac Lake, on Facebook at SL Book Nook. And by Planned Parenthood, providing confidential supportive counseling, education, advocacy, and a 24-hour hotline through their Sexual Assault Services Program in Clinton, Essex, and Franklin Counties. More of Northwards Now coming to you from North Country Public Radio. I'm Mitch Tyke. The North Country has some pretty well-known and well-traveled places. Lake Placid, the Thousand Islands, Lake George and Lake Champlain, and, of course, Johnsburg and Weavertown. All right, so maybe those last two aren't necessarily on the beaten path, but hopefully that's about to change. There is a team working to create an app that will automatically tell you the stories of these lesser-known places while you're walking or driving through them. And in some ways, it could redefine what it means to go on a tour. It's part of an innovative partnership between Warren County, where Sarah Frankenfeld works, and the company Dan Forbush founded, Cliff and Redfield Interactive. The project they're undertaking is called the First Wilderness Story Collaboration, and its goal is to help put some of these places back on the map. Dan and Sarah joined us to talk about the project. Welcome to Northwards. Thank Thanks you. for inviting us. Great to be here. Dan, how do you describe what this collaboration is and what it's about? I would describe it as a um, collaboration of local historians, students, and editors um, who using collaborative media, uh, tell interesting stories. We have been developing stories from open space uh, as our main platform for content uh, over the last seven years or so. And now we're moving into spatial storytelling uh, that is uh, using um, media that, that just enable us to tell stories in a different way, especially now, uh, and most interestingly, I think, uh, driving around Warren County. That is the ability to 
uh, summon stories to our phones is really transformative and prompting us to think about storytelling in an entirely new way. And another piece of the big picture is how to put GIS work to use in uh, in telling these and sharing these stories, really. And that's, I think, the most exciting thing that I gather is still coming together and uh, isn't quite ready for the user experience yet, but, uh, but it's what you're working on, this app that will allow people to hear stories as they move around Warren County. Right. And Sarah is really taking the lead on that. She's She really knows GIS. And so she's really getting to know this new app that we're developing. Uh, we're developing the narrative component and she's pioneering the, uh, the the technical aspect of it that's going to enable people to download this these stories to their phones. Yeah. So I am the geographic information system administrator for Warren County. So my, my whole career has been... Um, <laughs> relating to maps and spatial data. Um, and we uh, very fairly early on in this project um, realized that it's it's a um, effective way to drive people to to visit some of these out of the way places by tying stories to specific locations. Uh, so the software that we, use regularly as part of our day-to-day work um, has a component called story maps. So that allows uh, a desktop um, application or mobile-friendly application uh, to have a location on a map that you can use using GPS on your phone and tie that to additional information. So we have a um, recreation mapper application that we launched a number of years ago that's been really successful that that uh, highlights all of the public land recreation destinations in Warren County. Um, but we realized that we could expand that to include some additional narrative so that we're actually telling stories about various different locations um, in Warren County, whether they be recreation destinations, so hikes or um, paddles, bike rides, um, or historic destinations throughout the county. And then recently, um, we have just ventured into the land of GPS-triggered audio. So that is what we're currently exploring and looking forward to launching in an app. One of the challenges that we have is, as in much of the North Country, (laughs) large swaths of Warren County do not have cell service. So uh, we wanted to make sure that this app will work without requiring cell service. Um, We've tested it. It works really well. Uh, So we're really excited about the possibility of people driving around the county um, and being able to hear stories about the locations that they're driving past or walking. Um, We'll have options for walking tours as well. So a couple of questions occur to me. I mean, like one of them is just this notion that uh, you're really trying to share some love uh, with some out-of-the-way places that are really in the shadow of more famous tourist attractions in the region, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the first wilderness heritage corridor, which is how Dan and I originally got connected, um, it was a planning initiative started by the Warren County Planning Department in the late 19th. 
90s to try to exactly just that give some love to some of these less known communities in the western part. So these are communities that border the upper Hudson River. So Stony Creek, Thurman, Lake Luzerne, Warrensburg, um, Johnsburg, Chestertown. Um, they, they all border the Hudson River. They're in the west part of the county, much lower in population, um, not necessarily tourism destinations with the exception of, you know, Johnsburg with Gore, but they have a huge amount to offer both in um, more off the beaten path recreational opportunities, as well as a rich um, historic past. And, and so we're really excited about the opportunity to get to tell those stories while people are actually physically in those locations. Well, and, and so then the, the other question I have, and this is, uh, Dan, where you come in, is what kind of audio you're collecting and, and who's doing the collecting and, and how you're presenting it? Well, it's a big challenge. Okay, so we're creating this network of stories around Western Warren County. We're, we're going into uh, the histories that have been written about this area. We're talking to the historians. We're connecting with those historians in Zoom and in Basecamp, which is the main project management tool that we're using. We have a team of eight students that are helping us to research and write these stories. Um, we're aiming to begin recording these histories around mid-May, uh, but we've got to get the scripts written. So that's our main focus right now, is writing the scripts, and then we have to assign the various parts that will be read by the historians that agree to participate in the project. So there are a lot of moving parts to it, but it's moving along well. This is a little like Ken Burns with location services turned on. Yeah, it feels a lot like we're 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 writing documentaries in sound. I mean, it's a really it's a it's a fascinating idea. I mean, are you kind of um, are you creating this out of whole cloth? Is this being done elsewhere? So we're using um, we're using an app called Story. Uh, so this app is used by the National Park Service. Um, primarily, its uh, its largest client is museums. So it is used for audio tours in museums that typically are, you know, generated as people are moving from an exhibit to exhibit. Um, but it is also used um, in various national parks. So that is what attracted us to this particular app, because we figured if it works in a national park, it should hopefully also work in the rural Adirondacks. Um, and that has proved to be true. Do you have the sense who your users are going to be? Is that Are you hoping that this will bring people to Western Warren County or people who are already you know, familiar with the area will find more to do when they're there? Yeah, I hope both. I think that it's likely that visitors coming to Lake George, we're hoping will download the app and think, oh, there are things to do more than just right in Lake George Village or right in the lake. We're hoping that we'll be able to entice them to visit the western part of the county. The less saltwater taffy intensive part of the county. <laughs> exactly. 
that being said, we are hoping that eventually that this is going to cover all of Warren County, especially as we're moving into the celebration of the 250th anniversary of the revolution. We have a lot of relevant activities that did occur right in the Lake George area. And we're certainly planning that this app will also incorporate audio tours, both driving and walking tours, highlighting that Revolutionary War era history as well. That's kind of the next phase of uh, tour development. What makes the two of you the most excited about the possibilities? Yeah, I just, I, so we did, I don't know if you're aware of our letterboxing um, projects from the last couple of years, but we have had these two letterboxing trails, which basically are like a kind of a treasure hunt where people follow clues, go to specific locations throughout the county, um, get a stamp at that location. Um, And those two initiatives, which started out very small and um, we weren't, we didn't really have much in the way of expectations um, for the first one was the first wilderness letterboxing trail. we were astounded by the response to that project. And one of the most frequent comments was, um, I've been coming to Lake George every year for 30 years, and I had no idea this was here. Um, I'm so happy to learn more about the history of this particular location, or I'm so happy to know that this location exists as a destination. So we heard that both from uh, visitors who, who uh, either it was their first time coming to the area or they've been coming, you know, year after year for their whole lives. We also heard that from local residents who do live here in Warren County and still discovered places right in their backyard that they had never known about before. So I feel like we have such a rich, um, both historical story to tell here in Warren County, as well as so many recreational resources that people just don't know about. So I'm really hoping that this app will be a way to let people um, explore off the beaten path locations in Warren County and just learn more about our amazing history. Uh, Sarah Frankenfeld and uh, Dan Forbush, thank you both so much, and uh, best of luck with this. Looking forward to uh, hearing tales of the app in action. Thank you so much. Thank you. Dan Forbush is founder and editor of Cliff and Redfield Interactive, and Sarah Frankenfeld is the GIS administrator for Warren County. They're partnering on the first Wilderness Story collaboration. They hope to launch the app that's at the heart of it around the 4th of July weekend. There is more at ncpr.org slash northwards. And with that, we come to the end of this edition of Northwards. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Northwards podcast and get an episode delivered to you every Friday from the comfort of your phone or your computer or your smart speaker. And you can subscribe to the Northwards column delivered to you in newsletter form each weekend. Find them all at ncpr.org. Digital oversight of this show comes from Ethan Shanty and Bill Hanel. Caitlin Kelly does our social media, and I am Mitch Tyke, your humble host and producer. Thanks so much for listening. Here and Now is next on NCPR, followed by Science Friday and the Beat Authority. Have a great weekend.